0: Picture will appear in a moment. I'm sure. I. Uh, it's great to be uh, together on this Pentecost Sunday, and we'll think a bit more about um, a bit more about that as we go through. You found it. Not to worry. Okay. Come and drink. That's not my picture, but it it's a very nice picture, isn't it? Okay, we got it. There we go. Oh, I saw it briefly. Okay, I love this picture. This is a, a picture of a, a young lad in uh, an African country, I'm not sure where. Uh, and water has come to their village. Water. Water. Fresh, clean water, and uh, yes, thank you. And uh, we can't imagine what it's like, can we, in our society, to, to live in a place where, where, where you don't have water, because water is essential to life, isn't it? Without water, you cannot live, and without having this wonderful, clean, refreshing water, and I just love the, the smile on his face as he, as he receives it out of that uh, pipe. Pentecost, as Downs reminded us, simply means 50, 50 days after the celebration of the Passover, or as Jesus made it, the Last Supper. And we're going to look at what happened, we're going to read some of the verses in Acts together. But Before we do, I want you to turn, perhaps if you've got a Bible, to John chapter 7. If you haven't got a Bible, Chris is looking to give you one from the back there, if you put up your hand. John chapter 7. Verse 37, and I want us to look at another feast, because Passover was pa- Passover, Pentecost rather, was a Jewish festival. It was the it was the festival of of harvest. Came 50 days, as we've said, after Passover, but I want to go back to a, to the to the biggest feast in feast in Jewish history. They had three big national celebrations, and this one in John chapter seven is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's when they remember that God brought them, God provided for them in terms of harvest, but particularly in terms of them coming through the wilderness, leaving Egypt, and the way that God provided through, for them through the desert and how he provided water for them. As for 40 years, they wandered. And my prayers this morning is that, that we will do exactly that that will come and drink of the life-giving water that Jesus promises to us let's just pray though for a moment let's just pause perhaps Lord you, you, know, our, you know all about us you know our hearts you know our, everything there is to know and Lord if we knew everything about everyone here we wouldn't want to know any, any of them They wouldn't want to know us. And yet, Lord, you call us to come. You call us to come to you. You call us, your Holy Spirit directs us towards you. And, Lord, we do pray that today we might come. We pray that we might come and drink. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, John chapter seven. So right at the end of this feast, I'm going to keep drinking water. I can do so today, can't I? Right at the end of this feast, in, in verse 37, I think, I think it is, says, "On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, "If anyone, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink." Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given to anyone, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus stands up and says those words, Whoever, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, we've been reminded of this already this morning, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then John, the writer here, adds these, adds these to the words of Jesus. He said, by this he, that's Jesus, meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus had not yet gone back to the Father. Jesus had not yet been crucified, had not yet given his life, he'd not yet been raised to life again, and he'd not yet ascended to the Father. When all of those things had happened, then the Spirit would come. The Spirit would come. Now, the Spirit, in a sense, had been at work in the world through, from, from creation onwards. Been working individual lives, specific ways, specific times, but now the Spirit would come in a very different way. The Spirit would come upon people to remain with those people permanently. Would come and dwell with them. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And this was going to happen. And it did happen. And if we turn over to the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, has crucified, he's been raised to life. And in Acts chapter 1, in the first early verses, we read that uh, for 40 days, Jesus is with those disciples, proving to them that he was alive, <laughs> proving to them that he, was, that he was who he said he was. And In verse 4 of, of, of Acts 1, we read, On one occasion while he was eating with them, He wasn't a ghost. He could eat and drink and do all the things that any other person could do. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, he baptized you with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was his promise to them. And we know for 10 days, 10 more days, the disciples waited. And then on the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, something happens. They're all together in one place. This could be the 12, or it could be, what many commentators think it's the 120 that's referred to earlier on. They're all together, and this could well be in the temple courts. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We read, don't we, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. i have to take that back. They were obviously in a house at that time, not out in the temple courts. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them. So they saw something like, they felt something like wind, they saw something like fire. It was the only way they, they could describe it. And the Holy Spirit came upon them all. And they couldn't, it wasn't, could not be contained. These guys are then outside. And because it's a feast, there's all these Jews from all around the world, all these Jews who live in different countries, they've all come back to Jerusalem for this very special festival. And they hear these guys speaking. What do they hear them saying? They say later on, they, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Declaring the wonders of God, that's what they were doing. As the Holy Spirit came upon them. And uh, s- some, you know... Some took this seriously and others thought they were just drunk and Peter then stands up, doesn't he, in verse 14 he said, these guys are not drunk. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. This is what's happening. What's happening here is what you Jews re- could read about in the, in the prophet of Joel that, that Darren read to us earlier. This is what's happening. This, is, this has been foretold for centuries before that the Spirit would come upon people. And it would come upon, he would come, not it, he would come because he's a person. He would come upon all people, sons and daughters, young and old. The Holy Spirit would come on all who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he finishes that prophecy from Joel and saying everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it was great to hear about Kelly great to hear that she... That that's what we're doing. We're calling on God to say, Lord, we need it. We need you. We need you. We need to know your salvation because we can't do it ourselves. We can't get right with you. We just can't do it. We need you. And God hears that call, however it's expressed. <laughs> he knows. He doesn't matter about the words because he knows what's on our hearts. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus get, and Peter rather goes on, doesn't he, to preach this sermon. He doesn't pull any punches. He says to this great crowd of people, he said, "You, you crucified Jesus. You did it. You crucified the Messiah. You crucified the Christ. But God raised him to life. God raised him to life. And he finishes his sermon by saying that this Jesus, that God has made, this Jesus." Whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You thought you were going to put an end to this? No way. He is now Lord and Christ. And he will reign. His purposes will be completed. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will stop God from doing what he wants to do. Made Lord and Christ. And we read, don't we, that 3,000 heard the message that day and responded. 3,000 were added to the church in that one day. How many do you think have been added to the church today, this day? Well, the truth is not one of us knows, so it's no good guessing. Some people reckon it might be 50,000. Some people 80,000. Some 100,000. On this one day and every day. We don't see that, do we, in our society? But there are many countries in the world where God's Spirit is at work and work in marvellous and wonderful ways. And many, many thousands are being added to the kingdom day by day so that when he comes there are people from every tribe and nation who are in that crowd who will receive him and worship him. 3,000 were added to the day as the Holy Spirit worked not just through not just on those twelve of the hundred and twenty, but worked on those people that were listening. And then what happens? Many of us have been saved in this room. Right? Many of us can look back to that time when when we responded. I, I can look back to when I was a teenager. I'd gone on my own to a meeting. I'd been brought up in a church. Now, in, in other ways, I'd responded, but but I was at this meeting on my own. I don't know how this happened. Probably because I had no friends or whatever else. And I was on my own at this church in central Birmingham. I lived in the a uh, few miles away, and uh, and God spoke to me that night in a powerful way. I knew it was Him, and uh, I responded. I was one of the last to respond. Many other people had gone forward. They'd sung the hy- they were on the fourth verse of the hymn before I went forward. I went forward. And I, I don't know what happened. I can't ex- in a sense. But what I do know is that I walked out of that place. I was almost floating. And I floated all the way back to my home three miles away because I hadn't got the money for the bus fare. I don't know what I was doing. Now that had happened. Perhaps I was in the collection or something. But, but I can remember that, that sense that God had met with me that God had done something in my life that was real. And I guess that was like for these 3,000. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to get into discussion because people, we get confused with some of the terms, but I think truly the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit of God comes into our lives and convicts us of our need for the Savior and we respond to him. And he comes in to live in us. And if, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come into our lives, we cannot be Christ. We cannot be in Christ. We cannot be his. But does it end there? Well, it didn't end there for these people in Jerusalem, did it? What happened? Well, you can read what happened for yourselves. they are well-known verses, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And in very simple ways, you could say there was a, a spontaneous, spontaneous, not org- I'm sure there was some organisation. I'm sure that we know there was teaching, but there was a spontaneous outbreak of uh, community, discipleship, and mission. As you look at those verses, you see that what the Holy Spirit produced in their lives was that discipleship, that desire they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer and fellowship. They wanted to be followers of Jesus Christ. That came. That was natural. The community was there. They didn't start thinking about, this is mine and this is yours. They started saying, hey, guys, we can share these things. They eat in one another's houses. They enjoy being together. And mission, well, the mission was that day by day, more were added to the church as they saw what God was doing. So you've we've been saved. I've been saved. What's its impact How is it impacting your life, my life? Somebody said, uh, Christianity was never meant to be a meal ticket to heaven. And then a disciplined gritting of the teeth until we get there. But sometimes, it feels like that. Doesn't it? And sometimes, well, we're human beings, our feelings and all the rest of it does change. But sometimes it can be almost continuously like that. And is that how it is meant to be? Jesus said, didn't he? If anyone is thirsty, anyone. That's what he shouted out to the crowd. Anyone thirsty? Few chapters before he met the Samaritan woman, didn't he? And he said the same thing to her. You know, we, it's a wonderful story, but we haven't got time to, to unpack it, have we? But here's Jesus with this woman who's a foreigner. Uh, she's, we know, come to find out that she's an immoral lady, and Jesus shouldn't have been having this conversation with her, but he, convention went out the window when God's Spirit was at work in Jesus' life. And he asks her for a drink, and she probably gives him one, and then he said, You know. You know, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, if you knew, if you knew who I am, who I, who I am, you'd ask me, you'd ask me for a drink, and I'd give you a drink, I'd give you a drink that would last forever. I'd give you a drink that would quench your thirst, for, quench your thirst forever. It would become in you a spring of water welling up to, be like, to eternal life. And if you were to put those two passages together, John 7 and John 4, and what Jesus said to the crowd and what he said to the woman, here's a statement I think that you could draw from it. That if we believe in Jesus and come to him and drink of the Holy Spirit he offers, we will never thirst again and we will receive eternal life. I'm going to repeat that because I want you to think and see whether you endorse this statement. If we believe in Jesus and we come to him and drink of the Holy Spirit, we will never thirst again and we will receive eternal life. I trust we could all say hallelujah to that. But you know what? I think as evangelicals, there's a great danger. And it's not just evangelicals, sorry, I shouldn't say that. But as Christians, there's a great danger And that is we miss out the phrase, we will never thirst again. Or perhaps we think we'll never thirst again when we get to heaven and be with Jesus. But is that what Jesus was saying when he said, you'll never thirst again? (coughs) Do we thirst? Are you thirsty for God? Am I thirsty? Do I have that thirst within me for God and his ways? And if I thirst, why is that? I read, it says, Billy Graham, in his book on the Holy Spirit, says, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives the most desperate need for this nation is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And perhaps, and we're reminded, aren't we, of in in Paul when he talks to those Ephesian Christians, they're Christians he's talking to. And he's talked about, Darren read something about all that God had done for us in Ephesians chapter 1. And then, but several times in Ephesians, Paul prays for these Ephesian Christians. And, and essentially, he's praying that they'll know more, that they'll know more, that there is more to know, more to experience, that they will, and that they'll, that will be true for them. And he talks in Ephesians 5.18 with that, that, that phrase, don't we, where he says to them, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And many of you will know that that's a continuous present tense. So one way of translating it is to say, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what his desire for those church Christians in Ephesus was, that they were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham had his own experience of that. He was reading in this book, and if anybody wants to borrow this book, it's a good book. Just make sure you give it back. It's called More. How can you know more of the Holy Spirit when you already have everything in Christ? It's a good question. But in the back of that book, right at the end, which is why I brought it this morning, it tells the story of Billy Graham, that puts together both Billy Graham's account and what, what others knew. When he first came to Britain in 1946, just a very young man, first time he'd come to preach. And when he came, he, met, he, he went to a meeting where Dr. Stephen Alford, some of you older ones will know that name, was preaching. And at the end, at the end of that session, Billy Graham, having heard Stephen preach... He said, he went up to Stephen, he said, he said you've spoken of something, and, and Stephen Alford was preaching on Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham goes up to Stephen, he says, you know, I want what you have. I want it. He says, to quote, I don't want to go on without what, knowing what you have. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. Billy Graham spent the next two days with Stephen Alford in Stephen's hotel room. And through this period, Stephen explained to Billy, to Billy what, what actually it meant to be filled with the Spirit and what did you, how you needed to yield yourself to Christ, how you needed to be completely open and let him have control of your life. He used the phrase, there is no Pentecost, Billy, without Calvary. There's no Pentecost without Calvary. And at the end of that two days, something remarkable happened. And Stephen Orford writes, he said, all heaven broke loose in that little room with just Billy Graham. And Stephen Orford goes home and, he meets his, and his dad meets him. And his dad said, obviously realizes that something happened. And he says to Stephen, he said, what's happened? What's happened? And Stephen simply said, uh, Something has happened to Billy Graham. The world is going to hear from that man. And that same night, Billy Graham preached, first preach in Britain, told. Forty people in a church, forty people went forward, even before Billy got to the invitation. Before they got to the invitation, people were coming forward. Of course, that was his experience, wasn't it? Throughout his life. With some of us who listen to his sermons, think, well, that sermon's not particularly special. And yet people responded and continue to respond. Be filled with the Spirit. You won't, you won't come to Christ unless you're thirsty. Jesus says he can meet our deepest need. He said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. That's what he said. He said, if you're weary and burdened, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And he he wasn't just talking about physical needs, although he met people's physical needs. He was talking about something much deeper than that, wasn't he? And a need that actually exists in every one of us. And he said, I can meet those needs if you'll just come. Isn't it amazing you didn't place any other conditions? It didn't say, um, if you thirst and you really s- want to do something about it and you get yourself sorted out and you get yourself made right, you, you sort of s- sort out some of those problems in your lives, if you do that, then you can come. It didn't say that. It just says, if anyone thirsts, it's open to everyone and without any conditions attached. If anyone thirsts, come. What stops us asking? So all we have to do is ask. What stops us asking? What stops you asking? What stopped that woman from asking? Well, there's the first: We don't thirst. If you think you're okay, you're going to be okay. You won't come to Jesus. You won't want his work in your life. It would just be a great big inconvenience. Maybe you think we're not good enough. So said Jesus said, "Anyone, come." When he talked to the crowd, there'd be people in there who were sinners, tax collectors. In fact, they were the people often closest to Jesus. Didn't matter that they weren't good enough in, in our terms. Jesus says, "Come." Here's a, perhaps one for some of us who've been in the church a bit longer. We won't face up to or confess our sin. Remember a lady, she was an elder's wife. She shared some of her problems with us. And I said, you know, it would be good for you to share that in the group. And she said, I couldn't do that, could I? What would people think? I'm an elder's wife. I lead a home group. You know, this is the place of all places that we ought to be hard to confess because we say to one another that we're sinners. We don't, not, we're not trying to pretend, but we do. And until we're willing to face up to this, we're not going to come to Jesus. Our sin will keep us away from him. But if we're willing to face it and confess it, he's willing to deal with it. And this perhaps is, for me, the more significant or, oh, I want to have control of my life. I want to have control. I want to make the decisions. I'm willing to trust Jesus so far, but not too far. What will he ask? What will he want? How will it work out? And of course, that just shows in a sense that I don't trust him. I have a dad. He died a few years ago. I had a good dad, of which I'm eternally grateful. Uh, if my dad now, this would be as, a, as an adult, if my dad was here now, or if it's going back a few years when he was with us and I was an adult, and if my dad asked me to do something, I think I'd do it. Because you know, I, I know my dad loved me, and I know he wanted the best for me. And so if he said to me, son, I think you should do this, I think I'd have been willing to listen. And Jesus uses that same illustration when he's talking about the Holy Spirit in Luke 11. He said, you know, if your son asks for something, you, 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 you do it, don't you? If you ask for a fish and chips, you don't give him a moldy slice of bread. You, go, you try and give him fish and chips. Well, he didn't actually say Jesus didn't say that because they probably didn't have fish and chips, but the equivalent. He says, that you're a good, if you're a good dad, you try and do that. How much more do you think your father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? How much more will he give the Holy Spirit? Come to me and drink. Come and drink. And streams of living water will flow from within him. That's the promise. Streams of water will flow within our lives that will cleanse and refresh us, but will flow from us to other people. And cleanse and being refreshing and cleansing as well to them. Jesus just says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And he goes and repeats that six times, six times, makes the same statement. Just ask. Just ask and you'll receive. And by asking, it shows that we're willing to trust him and that we're willing to move. Because if you come to Jesus, you've got to move. If those people wanted to come to Jesus, they physically had to move. We've got to move. He will enable us to move, but we've got to move, be willing to move. Wouldn't it be a great day? Wouldn't it be a great day today on Pentecost Sunday if you recognised that actually you were dry. You were dry ground. You were hard ground. You're not really satisfied with your Christian life. And I'm not just talking, you know, how you got out of bed this morning and how you felt therefore. I'm talking something deeper than that. If you recognize that and said, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to come and drink. I want to come and drink. Not sure how it's going to work out, but I want to come and drink. It's been a real challenge for me as I prepared this uh, talk. This week I've said that. So, I'm not asking you, in a sense, anything that I'm not asking myself. Because I thought, Lord, I don't want it just to be dry. I want it to be real. I want it to know more of the reality that you have for me. I want to know more of the experience of the Holy Spirit in my life, who leads me to Jesus, makes him real in my life. What about you? going to sing a song together now. And I'm going to ask um give you the opportunity to do something. I don't normally do this stuff. But I think it is good to if if God if God has spoken to you, not not you're not responding to me or my talk, right? If God has spoken to you, and actually as in a way that he spoke to me this week, and and he's saying You know, you know. You know you need to come. You know you need to know something more of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. If that's what he said to you, then here's an opportunity to respond. And Jesus said, come and drink. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to come and drink. And there's some there and there's some at the back. Don't come because somebody else comes. Don't not come because somebody else is not coming. Only come if that's... If you want to, as you drink that water, if you want to be saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, I drink this ordinary Morrison's cheap water because really what I'm asking to drink is the water of the Holy Spirit in my life. So we're going to stand and sing a song together. There must be more than this, and then Darren will uh, take over for us and bring us to our conclusion. But um, let's stand and sing this now. And if that's what you want, then and it will help you to make it clear, then respond.